Although that's technically not accurate. I am not on a train. That's Danny O'Dwyer. He's on a train. I'm Drew Scanlon. I am in the great state of California in the United States of America because I am back from far-flung places uh, such as Ukraine, where I was on assignment for Cloth Map. Boy, we we cannot <laughs> keep Drew and Danny uh, in the same state for very long, can we? Uh, apologies for the, the solo podcast these last few weeks. Uh, we are like two ships passing in the night, but uh, we've got a race to do uh, this weekend. Monaco, that is, one of the biggest races of all, so I could not uh, let this one go by. Let's talk Monaco, shall we? Uh, Monaco itself is a little city-state that borders southern France and uh, the Mediterranean, uh, near France's eastern border with Italy. Uh, And in 1929, it was decided that a race would be held on the city streets along the waterfront. Uh, The race continued every year until things got kind of wary in the 30s and uh, 40s, but uh, it has been part of the modern incarnation of Formula One every year since 1955. Uh, the circuit has changed a bit over time, uh, mostly for safety reasons, uh, as the cars got faster, but generally it looks the same as it did in 1929. Um, so, let's see. Uh, one of the reasons I love Monaco is that it's that practically every part of the track is distinctive in some way, um, and almost all of the uh, sections have names that you've heard of. Um You've got the, the starting line, which is in uh, the middle of this long, gently curving section that uh, has European buildings on both sides. You can imagine just strolling down there and grabbing some ice cream and, um, you know, trying to find some shade. Uh, then you've got uh, Saint Duvat, which is a 90-degree right-hander that starts a wiggly climb uh, uphill. Um, that section is called Beau Rivage, the right side of which is a cliff that slopes down to the water. Uh, then comes Massenet, an almost semicircle to the left that puts Monte Carlo Casino off your right side at the top of the hill. Uh, after a right turn at the casino and a short straight section where you have to actually pull your car to the right to avoid a nasty bump in the road that's caused by a tree root, apparently, uh, you arrive at Mirabeau, which always reminds me of uh, Lombard Street in San Francisco, that like, you know, picturesque, uh, twisty, turny place with the houses on either side that's, uh, you know, you can imagine a lot of Volkswagen Beetles driving through there in the 60s. Uh, It is a tight right followed by um, a left hairpin almost immediately uh, right in front of the Fairmont Hotel. Uh, And then two sharper than 90-degree right-handers called Portier, uh, that dump you right into a tunnel, just like you're playing Rush 2049. I still can't believe that they allow uh, Formula One cars to go through a tunnel like this. It seems super treacherous, but it's awesome. Uh, the tunnel sweeps gently to the right and then dumps you at the top of what is essentially a ramp uh, that slopes quickly downhill into the Noville chicane, which is uh, a, a left first left and then right uh, chicane that is one of the best overtaking zones on the track. Uh, you're going pretty slow at this point from the chicane, uh, but you do your best to take the next left-hander to back uh, as fast as you can, hoping that you don't hit the barrier on uh, your exit. Uh, then it's through two more chicanes that can be taken at a higher speed uh, up on the curbs, if you're smart about it. And after that, it's Raskas, which is an almost hairpin to the right uh, that dumps you into another right-hander with a wiggly exit before you jump back on the start-finish straight. That straight, by the way, is not straight (laughs) um 
Gotta love old European streets. Uh, and it is uh, the only DRS zone, I believe. Uh, at 3.3 kilometers or uh, 2.1 miles, uh, the Monaco Grand Prix circuit is the shortest and slowest lap of the year, but it's got F1 tradition tied to it uh, and can still lead to some incredible races. So it's, it's one of my, my personal favorites. Uh, speaking of incredible races, see last year where uh, Danny Rick got pole and had it in the bag until Red Bull forgot to grab his tires during a pit stop. Uh, that was absolutely excruciating. Um, if you have not seen that, uh, I will make a note here, link to that, uh, in the show notes. It is, oh, it's just, you know, you ever see like a, uh, like a fumbled pit stop and it's just excruciating how long it lasts. Uh, imagine pulling up there, taking his wheels off and then realizing, oh no, no one is sitting there with tires to hand to me. We have to go in the back and get them. Uh, it just, it seems unfathomable in this day and age of, uh, you know, uh, computer controlled strategy and all that stuff. And they called him in. He, it wasn't like a surprise pit. They called him in and then did not have the tires. It was crazy. Um, no circuit changes that I am aware of for this year, but, uh, these wider cars will be harder to pass, certainly at a track that's already hard to pass. Um, that goes for traffic as well. So that could, uh, throw a spanner in the works as it were, um, for people trying to lap slower cars. Also cars aren't necessarily that much slower this year. This doesn't really have a lot of bearing in such a, uh, short, track because there are going to be cars that are being lapped but like you don't have the manners um anymore and even the saubers are uh you know getting points and stuff so you don't have the 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 lollygaggers at the back of the field anymore everyone i think the in the spanish grand prix the gap between the pole sitter and the slowest qualifying car was like 2.2 seconds or something um so uh, yeah, and anything can happen in Monaco is what I'm trying to say. Uh, weather forecast, qualifying, and the race uh, both look to be just balmy at 70 degrees Fahrenheit, or 21 if you're nasty, uh, with 50% humidity and a light wind. Uh, tire selection. Um, actually, on the subject of tires, we got an email from Tyler in Janesville, Wisconsin, saying, guys, simple question with what I assume is going to be a complicated answer, but I need to know, what are the tire rules? I just started closely following this year, and the rules with the tires continue to be extremely confusing. Do they only get a certain amount of sets? Does the FIA determine what types of tires are going to be used for that race? What is going on with the tire situation in general? Uh, And most importantly, T-Y-R-E or T-I-R-E? First of all, uh, Tyler, it's T-I-R-E. Uh, And second of all, Pirelli, the tire manufacturer for all tires in F1, uh, decides which three compounds will be available for any given race. So they they make a total of five different dry weather compounds, um, the ultra soft, super soft, soft, medium, and hard, but only three of those will be made available during uh, any given weekend. So for Monaco, the three compounds that Pirelli has selected uh, will be available are soft, super soft, and ultra soft. Uh, each driver will get a total of 13 sets of tires for the whole weekend, uh, which they will have to make last through practice qualifying in the race. Um, and in the first part of 2017, Pirelli themselves dictated how many sets of each type each team would get. 
this was because the compounds were new and not everyone had gotten a chance to try them all out in preseason testing. But Monaco is the first time drivers will get to pick their own allocations for each type. Uh, it seems like it was a pretty easy choice for most of them since uh, of 13 allowed sets, no one is taking fewer than nine sets of the Ultrasoft. Uh, only one driver, uh, Jensen Button, uh, is taking two soft tire sets. Everyone else is taking one. And the rest is filled in with between one and three sets of super soft tires. Uh, during the race, drivers must use two different compounds. So, uh, like I said, they've got soft, super soft, and ultra soft. Uh, each driver has to use at least two of those compounds. You can't just run the whole race on an ultra soft or something. Um, the caveat to this is if there is rain. So at, if at any point during the start, um, or, it, you know, during the race, during a pit stop, if you put on a, an intermediate or wet set of tires, you don't have to change compounds during the race. Um, <clears throat> I will put some helpful links in the show notes, uh, if uh, people want to read more on tires and, uh, if they want to see exactly who, uh, or what each driver is uh, taking to, to Monaco. Uh, on to news. Um, speaking of races happening this weekend that aren't necessarily Monaco, uh, Fernando Alonso, who uh, we have talked a lot about, uh, is competing in the Indy 500, hence why Jensen Button is uh, filling in for him in Monaco, qualified in fifth place of 33 cars. Fernando Alonso, who has never driven an Indy car before, qualified in fifth place. Uh, I think this is awesome. I mean, he's with uh, one of the, you know, a really good team, uh, Andretti uh, Autosport, which uh, um, with Alexander Rossi finished first last year uh, at the Indy 500. Um, But uh, still, to be able to come from, you know, circuit racing to oval racing, which is an entirely different beast, uh, and qualify fifth place uh, is is pretty impressive. Uh, Anything can happen in a 500-mile race, so... uh, you know, don't everybody get your hopes up. Uh, but this, you know, it, it shows real pace. And um, I'm, I'm proud of you, Alonzo. Good job. Uh, for comparison's sake, uh, Alexander Rossi, the winner, started 11th last year. Um, in, let's see, last year, f- last year's fifth, fifth place was Carlos Munoz, who I think finished second. Uh, and James Hinchcliffe, who started on pole position, uh, finished seventh place last year. So, uh, yeah, like I said, 500 miles, anything can happen. Um, but anything also includes Alonzo winning. So that would be, that would be super cool. I just wanted, I, I would hate for him to crash. I think that would really suck. I just want him to, to finish the race. Um, let's see. Um, a lot of people sent this in, <clears throat> uh, photographer, Joshua Paul, um, is a, an F1 photographer that uses a camera called uh, a Graphex, Graphlex 4x5 uh, to shoot uh, F1 cars and, uh, and, and F1 people. Uh, the camera uh, is remarkable because it was made in 1913. It is 104 years old, and he's using it to shoot modern Formula 1 cars. Um, it makes everything look awesome. It, it, it makes everything look... Especially when you're shooting... Uh, you know, things like Eau Rouge in, um, in Belgium or, uh, in, in, uh, you know, Monaco or like shots of the crowd or something. If you told me that it was from the 1920s, I would believe you because it just, it just looks like that. So when you have like, even, 
there's like this weird anachronism when you've got uh, a modern Formula One car, but with this you know super old camera uh, that just makes it 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 looks super duper cool. So uh, I will put that in the show notes and uh, people can. Um, uh, take a look at it. There's also a picture of him using it. He's standing with all the other Formula One photographers, and his camera is about the size of his torso. Uh, so it's it, it's a really cool picture. Um, let's see, going down the news list here, guys. Breaking news: uh, Motorsport.com reports that Pastor Maldonado told them that he was, uh, quote, close to coming back, but decided not to. We could have had Pastor for 2017. Uh, quote, I have the experience and I had opportunities to come back here this year, uh, but I don't have any good feeling. If I don't have any guarantees to do it the good way, uh, it's better to stay away, so I turned them down. Man, come on, Pastor. I mean, I, I guess good on him for wanting to do it his way, uh, I, I would say beggars can't be choosers, but I'm guessing as a Formula One driver, he's not really hurting for cash, so it kind of makes sense that he'd only want to do it if it, you know, if it suited him. Um, still, I know we would all love to see him back in F1, if only to have another, <laughs> another wild car in there. Ca- wild car, well, wild card and wild car. <clears throat> um, I, I would, I would love to see him. Uh, <laughs> you know, him versus. Verstappen or versus Stroll, like what? What could happen, especially in the backfield, which it sounded like he didn't want to be. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> uh, speaking of drivers coming back, as I mentioned, Jensen Button uh, going to be racing in Monaco this weekend, and uh, to to get uh, back in the swing of things, he's been in the simulator apparently, uh, speaking to or Crash Net at least has a quote from him uh, saying, "I've been in the simulator this morning, had a bit of a time." Uh, had a bit of time a couple of weeks ago, uh, so preparations are going well. Uh, understanding the new systems with the car because there are some things that are very different. I mean, that's right. He hasn't driven these 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 wide bodies. Uh, it is realistic enough so that when you drive around, he's talking about the simulator. When you drive around Monaco, if you hit a wall, you take your hands off the steering wheel and close your eyes. Uh, I also, <laughs> I love this part. I also fell in the pool twice today. Hopefully that won't happen. You know, after turn one, when you go up the hill, I fell off on the right-hand side and rolled. I've never rolled in a simulator before. Luckily, the impact isn't, isn't as big in reality, but you get a jolt from the G-Force. <laughs> I would love to see that. Uh, oh, could you imagine if they live-streamed their simulator work? Oh, that'd be so cool. Uh, speaking of simulators... Um, McLaren launches esports contest for a job working with their simulators from motorsport.com. Also, thanks to everyone who sent this in as well. Um, quote here from Zach Brown, the winner will genuinely be a key part of our team at McLaren. So I guess they're going to have some kind of contest, um, uh, to, to see who would be best for working with McLaren in the simulator. I don't think it's a, they don't get a race drive or anything. It's just like they, they would get a job working with McLaren. Uh, quote, this is for real. We absolutely require additional support across our two simulator platforms. So the competition and the selection process will be rigorous, ruthless, and compelling to watch. A good, good pitch man, Zach Brown. Um, so McLaren isn't the first to do this. Many shift F1 listeners have no doubt heard of GT Academy which is put on by PlayStation and Nissan uh, and awards Gran Turismo players with a spot in Nissan's driver program. Um, in fact, uh, one such winner, the 2011 winner, uh, Jan Mardenborough of the UK, 
is currently driving in Super GT and Super Formula, which is which is awesome. Um, what else we got here? Uh, I, yeah, I'm curious about that. <clears throat> I wonder if they can make it compelling to watch. Who knows? Uh, other news, speaking of IndyCar, uh, they are getting a new body design for 2018, which, uh, I think looks, looks much better. Um, more like formula one. So, uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, speaking of, uh, indie, a lot of indie news. Thanks again to everyone who sent this one in. Uh, this is from ESPN.com. Indy 500 pole sitter, Scott Dixon, comma, Dario Franchitti robbed at Taco Bell drive-thru. <laughs> I'm just going to read from the article. Dixon and Franchitti, who uh, Shift F1 fans may know as a former IndyCar driver and current Formula E commentator, uh, were robbed at around 9.40 p.m. local time at the restaurant, which is located less than a mile from Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Hours earlier, Dixon uh, set the fastest qualifying in 21 years there. Two males, ages 15 and 14, were arrested, according to the police report. Uh, Dixon and Franchitti declined to comment to reporters on Monday while Chip Ganassi Racing released a statement saying the drivers are, quote, completely fine. Dixon's teammate Tony Kanaan told reporters Monday uh, that he was supposed to be with them Sunday night uh, when Dixon went out to buy food for a number of drivers. Quote, obviously, I'm glad they're okay, Kanaan said. Uh, Now, obviously, I can make fun of them big time. (laughs) Drivers. Uh, team owner Chip Ganassi also took a lighthearted approach to the incident in a tweet Monday, which says, uh, quote, there goes that Taco Bell sponsorship we were working on, I guess. Ah, uh, yeah. Be careful out there, Taco Bell fans. Uh, and lastly, uh, some sad news. Uh, as Danny mentioned last week, uh, world superbike rider and former MotoGP champion, uh, Nikki Hayden, was involved in a bicycle accident last week uh, and was in critical condition until he passed away at age 35. Uh, our hearts obviously go out to his loved ones. Um, and it, for me, it's it's almost more frustrating when this happens not on the track. Uh, it's a cruel irony that guys like um, Nicky Hayden, Colin McRae, and Michael Schumacher like risk their lives for a living and then up having, you know, some terrible accident like this. that's totally unrelated. Um, so make the most of it, everybody. Um, and with that, let's race around the world, uh, world touring car championship is at the Nürburgring in Nürburgring, Germany for the, you guessed it race of Germany, uh, world Superbikes themselves are at Donington park circuit in castle Donington Derby, United kingdom for the Pata UK round. Uh, World Rally Cross is at Lydon Hill Race Circuit in Canterbury, United Kingdom, for the World RX of Great Britain. Super Formula is at Okoyama International Circuit in Mimisaka, Okoyama Prefecture, Japan, for their second round. And NASCAR is at the Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord, North Carolina, for the Coca-Cola 600. Which I think is the the third race of what they call the triple, uh, which is IndyCar, uh, or sorry, Indy, the Indy 500, Monaco, and uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. Um, I think it used to be that Monaco was a few weeks before the uh, Charlotte race in NASCAR and the Indy 500, and that um, 
drivers could theoretically race at all three. Some people have done the double. Some have, have done uh, Indy 500 uh, and um, the Charlotte race in NASCAR uh, on the same day. Um, this is different, by the way, from the Triple Crown uh, of motorsports, which um, uh, Danny had some confusion with last week that I think I've figured out here. Uh, so the Triple Crown, as we've mentioned before, Indy 500, 24 Hours of Le Mans, and Monaco. Um, the only driver to have completed the Triple cr- Crown, um, which is wins in all of those, is Graham Hill. 17 drivers in motorsports histories from Wikipedia have competed in all three legs of the Triple Crown and have won at least one of the events. Juan Pablo Montoya is the only active driver to have won two of the three events. So Graham Hill, I think, by definition, uh, has won all three of them. Okay. So that's uh, non-formula, non-open wheel stuff. Uh, and now we have, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do all of this in chronological order. Um, we've got formula one, formula two and Indy 500. So, uh, free practice one and two already done because Monaco is weird and customarily, uh, they have had their practices on, um, Thursday because I think the Prince, I think, I don't know if this is, I think this is a legend. I don't know if it's true. The Prince wanted to go shopping on Friday. So they put practice on uh thursday so that he could shop on friday i don't know if that still is happening because on friday uh may 26th at 2 30 a.m pacific time is when formula two's uh first race happens uh you can watch that on the nbc sports network app uh then saturday may 27th at 2 a.m is free practice three followed by qualifying uh at 5 a.m which will air on NBC Sports Network. Formula 2's Race 2 is Saturday, May 27th at 7 a.m. And the race, the Monaco Grand Prix, is Sunday, May 28th at 5 a.m. on NBC, regular NBC. No more Sports Network stuff. You can watch NBC over the air with your rabbit ears for free. Uh, And then, four hours later, May 28th, 9 a.m. Pacific time on ABC is the Indy 500. So there is a lot of racing to watch this weekend. Uh, Join me for it, won't you? Uh, Let's go down the driver standings here for a second. Sebastian Vettel on top of the 104. Lewis Hamilton close behind with 98. Uh, Valtteri Bottas a little more distant at 63, followed by Kimi Raikkonen with 49. Daniel Ricciardo with 37 followed closely by Verstappen with 35, Perez with 34, and then Esteban Ocon in 8th with uh, 19, Felipe Massa with 18, Carlos Sainz with 17, Nico Hülkenberg with 14. Roman Grosjean in 12th with 5, a three-way tie of Pascal Verlein, way to go, Pascal, um, Kevin Magnussen and uh, Danny Kafiat with 4 points, uh, and then Marcus Erickson, Lance Stroll, Fernando Alonso, Julian Palmer, Stoffel Van Dorn, and Antonio Giovinazzi all have zero. Constructor standings, Mercedes is on top with 161. Ferrari close behind with 153. Red Bull a little more distant at 72. Force India's got 53. Toro Rosso has 21. Williams has 18. Uh, Renault's got 14. Haas has 9. Sauber's got 4. McLaren has <coughs> zero. Maybe Jensen Button can turn it around. Emails, f1.cool forward slash emails. Uh, 
Uh, the first one here comes in from Greg. Uh, says, hey, Danny and Drew, I just attended my first ever Grand Prix at the Spanish GP, and it was an awesome experience. That's awesome. Uh, first, I have to say thanks to my loving wife for allowing me to work a Formula One race into our honeymoon in Spain and Portugal, despite her having no interest in speedy race cars. Uh, she said she had a great time, though, even the sweaty run down to the podium. <laughs> that sounds fun. We didn't actually do the podium run. Uh, I also wanted to thank you guys for your recommendation on getting the F1 app for the GP. I would recommend every single person do the same. It made it way easier to follow the race from the small section of track I could see general admission section looking at turn nine up straight to turn 10 uh lastly thanks for making this podcast as it was the thing that helped me get into f1 a couple of seasons ago when a friend recommended i try watching and specifically mentioned i needed to listen to you guys oh awesome uh you make sitting through all the f1 related news much more manageable and always help me get ready for each race thanks uh super happy i could uh finally see some speedy race cars and marry the love of my life as well nice one greg uh p.s Shane Alonso got off uh, in the first lap, but still happy to see him complete his first race of the season while wearing my new Alonso hat. Uh, not happy he still hasn't gotten a point yet, though. Uh, Alonso at Indy might help break me into that sport, too. Well, speaking of IndyCar, uh, big ups to Kevin in Indianapolis, who has been our eyes on the ground at Indy, emailing in with highly detailed messages about each of the sessions. Uh, start a blog, my friend. Good writer. Uh, Kevin says, greetings. Fernando Alonso had a very impressive qualifying weekend and ended up fifth on the grid with a qualifying speed of 231.3 miles per hour, which is an average. Uh, the way they uh, like to score it in Indy is they, uh, and I think this is correct, um, take your time and then take the distance and then convert that time and the distance to a miles per hour. So you can see the average qualifying speed. Uh, this puts him in the middle of row two because the Indy 500 groups cars into rows of three. However, qualifying isn't that important for the Indy 500. There will be a lot of passing during the race, and it is possible to win from anywhere on the grid. The last five winners of the race have an average qualifying position of 15th. Indianapolis 500 qualifying does award championship points, though. That means Fernando Alonso already has 34 points in the IndyCar championship. Unfortunately, those points are not transferable to Formula One. Bummer. Uh, look for me in turn four. I'll be the one in the gray shirt. Neum, Kevin from Indianapolis. Thank you, Kevin. I think that's awesome that Fernando already has points. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't even raced yet, and he already has more points than he does in Formula One. Uh, uh, also, thanks to Greg for sending us a great primer on IndyCar um, from Reddit uh, slash r slash uh, IndyCar, uh, which I will put in the show notes. Uh, Andrew from Akron, Ohio. After the race in Spain, Ricardo speculated what would happen if he got lapped and then Sebastian and Lewis, Lewis crashed, which is, like, could have, uh, well, I don't know if the crash could very well have happened, but Ricardo, even though he was in third place, um, was like a minute and change behind them, and also a minute and change ahead of uh, whoever was in fourth place. Was it Sergio Perez? Um yeah, he, he he was like, well, what if what if I had gotten lapped and then they crashed? What what would have happened? Because the leaders never finished the race. Um, so uh, I, this actually took me a while to figure out that when uh, in the races, when the leaders have lapped cars, like say a car gets lapped like six times, as soon as the leaders finish, that lapped car doesn't have to do six more laps. 
when the leaders finish, uh, everyone just completes their lap. And then uh, at the end on the timing screens, um, it just says, you know, plus six laps for that lapped car. Um, so what would have happened if before the leaders had crossed the finish line, they crashed? Well, Andrew says, I can tell you that this has happened in NASCAR before. I can't remember the year, but I think it was the 80s. A driver lapped the field four times and then crashed out. The race continued, but the lap counter on the scoreboard remained stagnant until someone completed the four laps necessary to take the lead. So if Ricardo got lapped in Spain and then Vettel and Hamilton took each other out, he would still have to complete another lap before actually passing them for the lead and would be classified in third until he did so. Theoretically, I guess that means um, if the two hours were up, then they would have called it, uh, you know, two hours plus one lap, no matter what lap everybody was on. So it would be similar uh, in that case as well. So thanks, Andrew. There is there is precedent. That's a, that must have been a weird one. Uh, let's see here. Jeremy in Halifax, Canada, Nova Scotia, I happen to know. Um, says, hey, Alt F1. I don't know what that is. I don't, I'm inclined not even to read this email. Uh, why is the Spanish Grand Prix considered, quote, the start of the traditional European season when it's directly after Russia? Sochi is in Europe and uh, as sure as Azerbaijan is, uh, perhaps they um, have not done as well as Baku. Every time I heard that Spain was the, quote, tr- start of the traditional european season i couldn't help but think uh that what followed was quote because screw russia are the announcers just old-fashioned or is there some political issue north americans aren't aware of uh does it have to do with the number of uh severity of border checkpoints Uh, also does the russian weekend where there were exactly zero emissions of this newfangled european season all the kids talk about uh so why always the traditional um, I think this is because the Russian and Azerbaijan Grand Prix are fairly new, um, having only started in uh, 2014 and 2016, respectively. Uh, the first Spanish Grand Prix, meanwhile, was held in 1913. So there's a little more, when they say traditional, I think that's what they mean. Um, yeah, if they had not qualified it with traditional, then I think there would be cause to be like, well, I mean, eh. I mean, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix was called the European Grand Prix. Um, but yeah, I think they, they, they call it that because for a long time, it was the start uh, of the European season. Uh, but yeah, good question. Uh, that's it for emails. Uh, again, you can hit us up at f1.cool slash emails. We are also on Twitter. Follow at Shift F1 Podcast for show updates and any fun F1 stuff we run across. I am at Drew Scanlon. He is at Danny O'Dwyer. Uh, shout out this week to everyone who sent us the animated gif of Alonzo killing two birds with one car. It was during, I think, a, uh, a practice lap where he just, they just turn into clouds of feathers. Uh, you know, I... I hate to see animals get hurt, but man, this is right up there with Randy Johnson's like fastball versus bird. If you guys have seen that one, I'll, I'll see if I can find that one too and link that, that cause that's just bizarre. The man throws a, a baseball and hits a bird that comes flying in. Uh, and thanks to Andrew who sent us an email with the subject. This is a photo of Fernando Alonso riding a skateboard at Indy. 
which I think is pretty self-explanatory. I will link that uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, as always, you can find our show notes on f1.cool along with how to subscribe via RSS, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, there's also um, a grid of how to watch F1 if you are in the U.S. Um, although this weekend, you can watch it all on NBC. Uh, until next time, I am Drew Scanlon. He is Danny O'Dwyer. If you want to support us, we are both on Patreon. Uh, me at uh, patreon.com slash clothmap. Danny at patreon.com slash Danny O'Dwyer. Uh, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Next week.